Welcome back to Rec Talks, a podcast dedicated to the latest trends from the world of rec tech, fintech, and financial regulations. My name is Klaus Christensen, and as you probably know by now, I'm the CEO and co-founder of award-winning rec tech provider, Know Your Customer. Today, it's my great pleasure to welcome Tirini Ponaya as my guest. Tirini is the head of compliance at Singapore-based fintech Aspire. An ex-investment banker from Barclays, Tarini is a CAMS and CFA qualified expert with 18 years of experience in banking and payments. She also holds a master's in finance and economics from the London School of Economics. Tarini, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Klaus. Really, really excited to be here to see financial crime get the center stage it deserves. I appreciate it. To get started, would you mind telling us a bit about your compliance journey to date? Sure. In a perfect world, I would love to say it was all planned, but my life being my life, you know, nothing happens as planned. I kind of stumbled into investment banking many years ago, loved it, you know, did it for about 10 years. And with everybody out there, you know, you've got to take part in compliance training and go through all of those motions. I'd be sitting there thinking, oh, here's another training. I've got to go through this and why am I doing this? As things happened, 2008 happened, the big crunch, regulations, compliance, you know, those sort of conversations became really big. People started to pay more attention to it and really piqued my interest, which is why I sort of did uh, almost 180 and got into the governance and compliance uh, aspect of it. And absolutely no regrets. It's such a fascinating space, very fast moving. Contrary to what a lot of people think, yes, it is a lot of reading, you know, going through stuff, but things happen and the nuances about it just keep me very interested. And in my own little way, you know, I like to think that I am helping keep out the bad players, tiny, tiny little piece of what I do, you know, trying to keep us safe and protected. The added kudos, I, I'm superhero at home. I mean, how do you explain compliance to a nine-year-old? So I tell them I am money police. I sort of chase people, you know, who do bad things with money. So my kids love it. <laughs> I I totally love that part. I think your journey um, not being a very straight one is kind of typical by now. Um, with few people that I spoke to on this podcast that are exceptional compliance leaders, you see the same thing. They came from another area and applied themselves and uh, brought new experience to it. Absolutely. Because, you know, as you say, coming from same sector, but looking at it from a different angle sort of gives us a little advantage as well, because you're from financial services. So you kind of know the ins and outs of how it works, or at least to some extent. So I think that gives us that added leverage to be able to understand that piece a bit better. Also, you have more experience having worked in both traditional and fast growing fintech companies. Have you noticed any recurring differences in how the compliance function operates across these two I don't know how long you have, Klaus. We have time. I mean, if you think about it, you've, you've got the big traditional FIs who definitely have a lot more regulatory pressure. You know, they're definitely under a keen eye. They've got bigger assets to manage. And then you've got the fintechs who are more nimble, moving faster. Everything is digital. So there's definitely a stark difference. I mean, of course, in the bigger traditional FIs, you've got compliance teams which are siloed. Because not one person or a small team, it's impossible, you know, for them to just manage the whole sort of business to even get a holistic understanding because it's, it's never going to happen, which I think sort of creates that friction. Because you know, if you're only working your sort of role and your job, you don't understand what the other person is doing or where they're coming from. Whereas in a fintech world, you get that opportunity to see everything more holistically. It's a much bigger responsibility in the sense, you know, you are responsible across the phase of compliance, all the different stages, the different pieces involved. You get to see firsthand what's happening in the business. 
in both, I think, FIs, traditional FIs and fintechs, I think compliance now gets a seat at the table. I think it's now more about like, you know, just getting your voice heard and being able to move faster. Have you built your team in a different way in your organization now that is more nimble and is a fintech than you would have in a traditional institution? You know, funnily not. It's actually a similar sort of structure, but a smaller team focused on more things. But actually the structure works. You've got the KYCs, the transaction monitoring, the periodic reviews, and the escalations teams, all of those. So we've got all of those as well, but they're smaller and they just, you know, talk to each other more. So you see a fuller journey. So it's more a mindset, the, the, the silo, than, than it is an actual problem, yeah. Correct. Everybody has to see everything because it has to move much faster and everybody makes a decision faster as opposed to, you know, the bigger ones. Well, that does open up the possibility even for traditional institutions to start moving faster by changing mindsets rather than structures, really. Heading the compliance department at a very successful yet fairly young fintech organization like Aspire must be an incredible roller coaster. I'd say it's probably closer to our own experience as a regtech scale-up than to working a traditional bank. You have all the usual objectives and challenges of a head of compliance, but your focus is also in ensuring that the due diligence and compliance processes work in the most customer-centric and user-friendly way. Do you have any suggestions for our listeners on how do you successfully balance the two? Well, successful, I think, depends on which day you talk to me. <laughs> same here, same here in my function. Exactly. I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, it truly is balancing the compliance requirements with the customer journey. And that's not just for fintechs. I think that's in every industry now, right? It's not just about fintechs. It's whether you're looking at the bigger banks because everyone wants to have that, you know, faster journey. They want to be, everything smooth and snazzy, instant approvals, instant onboarding which is definitely a tricky case. And I think my main agenda, is I want to change compliance professionals to be from being seen as the naysayers to being the enablers. It's about growing your business sustainably for longer periods of growth. There's no point in growing a business and you know making it really fast and really efficient and great until someone comes knocking on your door and say, hey, hang on a second, that's not working, which is not what anybody wants. So I think the advantage of having compliance early on in conversations is building a product or building the journey in the most efficient way, right? Where you get the customer experience, which is great, as well as, you know, you take all the boxes that you need from a compliance perspective. So that's definitely tricky. And, you know, it may work for a short period of time, but, you know, things change, the requirements change. It's a continuously evolving journey. I can never sit back and say, okay, I've got a process in place and this is not going to be in place for the next six months. That is not happening, sadly. That is a very interesting thought. So that's, again, a mindset shift where you see compliance as a work in progress forever for long stretches of time instead of, all right, I wrote my compliance manual. That's it now. I just hand it over, it's executed, and I don't need to think about it. That's probably not the way anymore. No, definitely not, because, you know, things change. I mean, look at the reg tech out there. I mean, what you guys are providing takes so much of the burden off from the compliance professionals. And as you evolve, we evolve. Because you're saying like, oh, hang on a second, I can, you know, leverage this off this platform. I can leverage this off, you know, this other vendor. And that sort of makes our life easier. And so we're able to then make changes to our flows which impacts everybody in a positive way. So you've got to keep abreast with, you know, new things that are coming, new changes that are coming. We sort of coincide with what the regulations want as well. Just to follow on on that, have the criminals also get more inventive? Oh, they're always a step ahead. <laughs> 
you know, we think as compliance professionals that we know all the rules and we know all the regulations. You know who knows the rules? The criminals. But with the reg tech out there, we are getting closer. The gap between uh, discovering something, you know, discovering a new loophole or discovering a new typology and closing that gap, the time frame is much shorter now. Is much, much shorter because A, you pick that up faster, you get approvals faster, you build things faster, and it closes that immediately. So while the criminals may be a little bit faster, they don't stay that well for a long time. That actually is a, is a good connection to the next question. When talking about compliance, it's very rare to hear the words creativity and out-of-the-box thinking. That is understandable. This is a space where it's important to do things by the book. Still, in the last few years, we've seen some very inventive ways to improve the efficiency and accuracy of existing processes. And you mentioned that technology is a big thing there. But these innovations come from both RegTech providers and the compliance practitioners in their respective roles. In your experience, what would be the most impactful innovations, the changes that we've experienced in AML over the past few years? Wow, there are actually quite a few. I mean, as you say, like, you know, we have to be creative. Criminals are creative. If you look at your platform in terms of just getting KYC data, that's at a click of a button. And then now you're looking at biometric verification. You're looking at e-signatures. All these things have made AML checks, verifications so much faster, so much smoother. It really has taken compliance to a whole different level where you're actually able to sit back and analyze. So you've gone from a checkbox activity, saying, okay, you know, have I got the right documents? Do they look right? You know, is the paper torn? To saying, okay, I've got all this information. Let me analyze it. Does it now make sense? And sort of coming back to your creative side, I see compliance professionals as storytellers. We actually have to make a story about our client because it's not just about doing KYC or doing TXM or doing periodic review. It's understanding the whole customer journey. What do they want? Where have they come from? You know, what kind of stuff do they want to do? So it's building that story around the customer that helps us understand them better and just be able to monitor them, you know, in a much more efficient way. Love that. I like also the optimism that I hear here that things are actually moving and getting better. Luke Raven, who I spoke with on another episode, recently posted a call for optimism on the future of AML on LinkedIn. And I like that. There is a new generation of practitioners entering the field with fresh ideas and maybe a little less jaded attitude. Do you see that too in your team? I think the, the good thing about the new generation that are coming into compliance, like they don't have the baggage of you know how we used to do it in the old times. We are sort of moving them as we have trained ourselves to be as well, you know, to be more pragmatic. It's not about looking at black and white what's written in the law. It's understanding the essence of what we are trying to achieve. What is the story? What do the regulators want? And I think it's that view from a compliance perspective, which is really helping. And I think, as you say, you know, the new generation that's coming in, at least in my team as well, that's my main training to them is, okay, don't tell me how it used to be done. Let's see what are we trying to achieve here? And how better can we do it? So that call for optimism has some some backing there. Excellent. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's your prediction regarding the future of this profession then? I mean, we're optimistic already, but the interesting question would be now for the next generation. What skills and expertise do you think will be needed to continuously succeed in this space? The topmost skill I would foresee is pragmatism. Moving away from that, you know, set mindset to having an open view on what we're trying to achieve. And if you approach it from that angle, it's such an open space for us to, you know, come up with new ideas and how we want to do things. Everything is global now. 
I mean, sitting in Singapore, I'm not just supporting Singapore customers, right? We have customers from all over. So I can't have one set of rules in Singapore that only meets the criteria here. I have to think globally. I have to think regionally. Business in Asia is conducted in a very different way to how business is conducted in the West. All those nuances which one needs to understand. So I think soft skills are really important. You know, communication. I mean, one of the biggest things that compliance needs and to get that tick from the board or from senior management is if you're able to communicate the requirements properly with evidence of what we're trying to achieve. So the chances of you getting some new changes through are much higher if you're able to communicate it in a proper way. Excellent. And I agree from my heart, having been through the um, compliance review process with a very large bank in Singapore recently, the communication skills could be better sometimes. <laughs> Let's uh, zoom out a bit. Aspire is not just any fintech. It's actually the strongest financial operating system in Southeast Asia. You're headquartered in Singapore, but you're growing quickly. You mentioned it across the region. Quite often, we have seen financial regulations in other Southeast Asian countries look towards MAS, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, as a model when developing their own regulations, including in the area of anti-money laundering. How do regulations in Southeast Asia have an impact on your role specifically and on Aspire's business? We are a regional business, you know, so we can't just focus on Singapore. And again, as you said, MAS is a front runner here in the region for sure. They're setting the model is setting the pathway for, you know, some of the other regional countries to follow the lead. And it's actually happening. If you see some of the countries in the region and the new payment laws that they've come up with are very, very similar to what MAS came up with a couple of years ago. You know, they've taken that as a guide and sort of implemented their own with their own nuances. And given that we are in the region, I can't just focus on Singapore regulations. I need to look at what's happening in the region because Singapore, even as a country, doesn't just transact with itself. It doesn't do business with itself. It has to look regionally. I think what you really need is the countries to get together and have a similar foundation because then everybody works together, right? Then nobody's working in silos. Even as countries, you know, nobody's going to work in silos. We all work together. We all have the same understanding of what is required for certain activities or, you know, from an AML perspective, it just makes life easier for clients as, as well as for compliance professionals. We see that from the KYC's perspective in our European operation. Europe is great in one way in that it does have a unified anti-money laundering policy. And yet, even in this most positive setup, we still have a lot of differences between the implementations of those regulations on the national level. and. Those are often the most difficult thing for global or regional operating players. If you look at the fintech and payment space in Southeast Asia, where do you see some of the highest money laundering risks? Which areas or products should we keep particular attention to? Like also from a KYC perspective, what should we do? I mean, from a KYC perspective, you know, we work with corporates only from an Aspire perspective. So, you know, the more documents we can get for corporates, From the corporate registries, you know, the easier it is for us and the customers. I know there's some regions out there which is make it harder to get instant, instant documents. You know, even more so than that, I think what you've got to realize is that, you know, in Asia, the majority of the businesses are still done verbally over a shake hand. You know, they'll discuss something or a drink or a golf course or something. So it is not as structured, which also can then lead to a lot of over invoicing, those sort of, you know, traditional trade-based money laundering sort of activities, which is quite rife in, in the region for sure. And I think more than that, I think I've touched on this before, is the lack of, I guess, communication between the regions as well. 
I mean, if you look at what happened, um, the recent case from Australia, the $10 billion money laundering ring, some of the big perpetrators uh, were on the blacklist in China, but they were given Australian citizenships because obviously you can't share information across, right? That is also something we've got to look out for in the region is, you know, this lack of communication. There's so many different areas. Unfortunately, I can't give you one. These are the two that come, you know, the top of mind. One last question that I ask all my guests. If tomorrow you woke up and somehow you had become the global financial regulator, what would be the first thing you would do and why? Wow. <laughs> A million dollar question there. <laughs> you know, I think globally, we, we've got the rules. We've got the foundation across the different markets and across the different regulators. but. I think what we're lacking, um, and as I've touched on before, is is unity, you know, because each regulator is doing their own thing, right? So it's creating arbit arbitrage opportunity for the criminals out there. Like, if we think we know the laws and the rules in a country, the criminals know it way better in all the loopholes because, you know, you have these nuances across, which makes life not that easy, <laughs> you know. So I think that's one thing, um, you know, I would definitely look at is how to increase that cooperation, how to increase that that unity or harmony of sharing information across. We're all focused on that one objective is to keep the bad guys out, you know, keep our people safe, keep money safe. So let's all get together and share the information that we need to. That would just be amazing. I mean, th I think that's something I would definitely focus on. I think it is something actually that might also be achievable. We are faced currently, all of us are faced with a world where there is a lot of disunity and there's blocks emerging and tensions everywhere. But this is one cause I think where we can all get behind really on a global scale because no nation really has any big advantages of uh, allowing criminals. And uh, these operations uh, can only be stopped on a global level. And that's something we can all get behind. Absolutely. And I think, you know, let's not try and outdo each other because we're all working towards the same goal. Let's work together. Excellent. Tarini, thank you so much for this excellent podcast. I love what you say. And there's uh, so much positive going on. Great to see Aspire doing well in Southeast Asia and I'm sure beyond pretty soon. And uh, we'll be watching that space. Thank you very much for having me, Klaus. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. And yeah, you know, let's see what happens in the global financial crime space. Let's hope we can make a change. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rec Talks. My name is Klaus Christensen, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of award-winning RecTech provider Know Your Customer. If you liked the episode, please subscribe to the whole series and leave us a review. And if you'd like to connect with us, suggest a guest or a topic for an upcoming episode, please send us a message at info at knowyourcustomer.com or visit knowyourcustomer.com slash rectalks.